0: Here's Middleton, Giannis trailing the lob! Oh! Run, two on one, green the finish! Wow, the alley-oop! Ron turned the corner, inside! He made Yusuf Merkin just green Here comes Mari! Alley up to Gordon! Oh, what a play! Alright, joined now by Caitlin Cooper of the Basketball She Road Substack, covering the Indiana Pacers here for the alley-oop. Caitlin, thank you so much for stopping by. Really interesting time to check in with Indiana, just given the the Tyrese Halliburton injury and how Indiana has really responded to what was a, a fun IST championship run, but had a lull and then a nice bounce back. Just what is what is like I was talking to you just before this, the season is so long and there are so many iterations of a team that you get to actually see. It's so interesting to catch Indiana at this exact moment.
1: Yeah, it's almost the inverse of last December, honestly, because they made a lineup change in the middle a year ago where they moved Jalen Smith from being the starting four to being a backup big and moved Aaron Neesmith into the starting lineup. And then that got them off on a little bit of a run where they went eight and two over the next 10 games and then Tyrese got hurt and then that shifted their season and now a year later here we are and Jalen Smith is back to being a starting power forward and they rattle off winning eight of their last nine games one of which without Tyrese Halliburton most recently against the Wizards but now Tyrese Halliburton is hurt again and they're entering in a very tough portion of the schedule so it's definitely been an interesting dichotomy between what has been just two Decembers apart. Fascinating to see it. 22-15
0: uh, and 15 record overall. The team is suddenly fourth in, in the Eastern Conference, which is pretty impressive to see, especially with where that slump kind of occurred immediately after the IST. But winning eight of the last nine, the offense is still awesome, but the defense over the stretch has been a lot better. Uh, but I guess we should probably go to the Tyrese Halliburton injury. He's been so important and just impactful for Indiana and just really is the driving force behind the success what is the latest on the injury that he sustained, and where can we kind of expect him to go from here?
1: Right, so I mean, fortunately, I think everybody breathed a sigh of relief when it turned out that it was a grade one hamstring strain, so that he's going to get reevaluated in two weeks. That's the hope, and and hopefully he gets back by then, especially heading into the fact that the All-Star game's in Indiana, and he's leading the voting, and I'm sure that for the oh, fan yeah. base is something that people are really looking forward to. But um, aside from that, that's what that's what's going to be, Really important to watch as they head out on this West Coast trip because the Pacers, like I said, they went 1-9 and over the 10 games when he was out when he got hurt last year. So far right now, he goes down right around halftime against the Celtics the other night. They still get a really big win over the Celtics in the second half. Galvanize around TJ McConnell. Benedict Mathern has a really great moment at the end of that game, which, I mean, afterwards, the last two-minute report kind of... Took it away by saying that Kristaps Przingis didn't really foul him, allegedly. So there's that aspect of it, but then get another win over the Wizards to send them off on this trip. So it looks a little bit different than it did a year ago. And and Rick Carlisle even mentioned that after the win over the Wizards, that they're going to have to play a little bit differently, obviously, when you don't have Tyrese Halliburton. You could see that change pretty readily from the beginning of that game, where afterwards, um, Bruce Brown was asked... Were you guys intentionally kind of trying to slow the pace because you and the Wizards both play, you know, so frenetically? And without Tyrese, were you not going to be able to keep pace? And he was like, oh, no, that wasn't intentional. Like, we just kind of had it was a different another different lineup because people were out and he's like i think what we just got off to a little bit of a slow start with some turnovers but i would counter and say that rick carlisle was calling way more plays in that game last night than what he's been doing with tyrese at the helm so you could hear him calling out a lot of actions you could hear some pace control where he was telling them to hold it in certain circumstances so between that and then them also having to commit more on the defensive end when you don't have tyrese there And already is going to put more pressure on your defense, because I think most people know he gets hunted quite a bit. That was a talking point at the end of the first game against the Celtics here recently, where the Celtics, I think more than any team, went at him very hard in off-ball actions, on-ball actions from the very tip of that game to try to wear him out. And people don't really understand that another aspect of defense is the fact that when you make shots and you don't turn the ball over you actually get to go set your defense. So the defense actually got a little bit worse last year when he wasn't in the lineup. So they're going to have to commit to that with the defenders that they do have out there now that Aaron and Bruce are both in the starting lineup together and Aaron's a little bit more natural at the three. So that's an aspect of it as well that will I think will change a little bit from stylistically what people have been used to seeing of the Pacers without him out there.
0: So who's been starting in his place? Has it been TJ McConnell? Because I know that Andrew Demhart also is very impactful in that role. Like, and the Pacers are very like uniquely positioned with those two guys where you've got a couple of stable, a stable veteran in a, in a TJ McConnell, but also a defensive minded guy in Andrew Nemhardt who can also do a lot of playmaking. Just how is that kind of broken down and how has that kind of shifted how they've played recently?
1: Yeah, so I would say that the dividing line that people need to look at when they first made the overall starting lineup change in terms of Jalen Smith being back at the four and then playing a little bit bigger and also putting Aaron E. Smith at the three they put Andrew Nemhardt into the starting lineup at the time because Bruce Brown was out. So he had been a starter, and that he had a couple of really strong performances there against Orlando, starting as a combo guard and then running the bench offense. Now that Tyrese yeah. is out, last night against the Wizards, they did start Andrew Nemhardt. I personally thought that was one of his tougher performances, but in his defense, he's dealt with a lot of injuries this year. The shot just isn't coming around for him. And the thing that stands out is the thing that I always like to point at is I just think that his processing and his overall feel for the game is so strong that the numbers for the Pacers, when he makes a pass out of the pick and roll, are still, you know, like around top 40, top 30, despite the fact that he has not made a pull up three all season. Mm. So, and... He's one. He is, I think, by the numbers on Cleaning the Glass, the most impactful defender on the roster. I do think he is the most complete defender. So you get a little bit more of his ability to stay skinny off the screens, what he can do off ball, the fact that he can guard up more positions than what you can do with T.J. McConnell. But I shared a stat today about T.J. McConnell. I don't know how many people are going to know this, but he actually averages more drives per 100 possessions than everybody in the NBA 34 (laughs) drives per 100 so like just to give people a balance of that like Shea Giltis Alexander averages 30 drives per 100 possessions so like if you just run like a basic sideline interaction for TJ just out of pistol he will get two feet in the paint it's just a matter of whether you know guys are going to cut and they're going to finish those cuts so he gets into the lane really well I know that's something that the Pacers value a lot some a phrase that they like to say is paint to great. They really yeah. want to, they ha- They average a lot of drives as a team. I think sometimes people know how much shooting the Pacers have, and they think they're very oriented as a jump shooting team, and that's true. Like, they do value having the spacing, but they value paint touch threes, and that's something that TJ really gives you. So what you said I think is really accurate, that they're very deep at the point guard position, and, and each of them offers a little bit something different. It's got to be a, a nice
0: little respite, and I obviously nobody can replace Hallie. Like, he's, yeah. he's going to be... Uh, an all-star starter this year for a reason I hope but like that is that is going to be a fascinating way for the Indiana Pacers like I think it's a little bit more of a like they're they're a little bit better positioned to survive his absence than they were last year I think just having the defensive personnel having a couple of different options there and Nemhart is just a better player like he, he was great last year but I do think that he's still like just one of those guys who knows and has understood and, and sort of grown in that, that role in his second season. So good to see that. But also like Jalen Smith, a, another guy that you mentioned moving into the starting lineup, he's like, according to the advanced numbers, he's been the third most valuable pacer this year, third in EPM at plus 1.6. The shooting efficiency of him is just incredible, uh, but he's also that defensive force and and somebody who can provide a little bit more size at the position, just What does he change schematically for this group? And then just where where does that kind of leave the Pacers with uh, some of the defensive questions that they had early? But they're 10th in defensive efficiency in the last nine.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the thing with Jalen Smith, I think the thought process was about three or four different things. For one, Obi Toppin was the only starter with a negative swing net rating, which obviously that isn't an individual stat, but it does speak to things that were going out on the court. When you're playing the Washington Wizards or you're playing the Milwaukee Bucks and Buddy Heald is guarding Giannis or Buddy Heald is guarding Kyle Kuzma, that's an indictment of Obi Toppin. If I'm watching a possession... And Buddy is out on an island with Kyle Kuzma, and Kyle Kuzma motions for a screen to bring Obi Toppin into that action so he can go at him instead. That That's telling you something. So I think they had been searching for so many answers at the four spot, particularly defensively, where they cycle through them and, like, you know, they play Minnesota, and it looks like they need, you know, the sign outside of an amusement park where it says you have to be this tall to enter, and they're just really <laughs> going at Aaron Nesmith. Then you have Obi Toppin, who can't really stick on the perimeter against a guy like Carl Anthony Towns. So I think at that point in time, and Jarris Walker just isn't completely ready yet, he's still getting minutes at the G League. I think the Pacers like what they're seeing of him there, but he, he's not ready for regular NBA rotation minutes. So they pivot to Jalen Smith, and in part what you get from Jalen, too, is that all three bigs for the Pacers are producing. So if you're allowing him to play at the four, then Isaiah Jackson still gets to be in the rotation. And that's important, especially if Isaiah is going to be the big that sticks next year because they have him under longer team control. And then also it shifts Aaron Niesmith to the three for the reasons that I said. That lets him defend a little bit more naturally at a position that he has more positional size at. And I do think, too, it was just an overall messaging of, hey, we're going to play the guys. We're going to put initially Aaron and Andrew and now Aaron and Bruce in this lineup because we're valuing defense. Because the defense as a whole, like, it hasn't jumped monumentally. Like, if you still look at the numbers over this, like, nine-game stretch, like, in terms of opponent points in the paint, second points, opponent free-throw attempt rate, like, all those things are still in, like, the bottom five area. One thing that has really benefited them is that they've gotten some shooting luck. If you look at some of those opponents, at one point in time, the teams were shooting, like, 30% against them, which you can't really control three-point percentage. You can control attempts, and you can control location. But they're still giving up stuff in the paint. I just think that execution-wise, they have stepped it up a little bit. I think guys, for lack of a better word, are taking a little bit more pride on that end of the floor, as Rick Carlisle was quoted, that went viral and saying, you know, even a pretty girl gets tiring after a while if she can't guard. I think that that probably reflects a little bit of the change on that end of the floor. I mean, they gave up right before this 150 points to the Los Angeles Clippers, and there was literally a possession where TJ McConnell was at the point of attack against James Harden, and they were all, you know, pack line. At both blocks and both elbows, and James dribbled right to the rim and scored, and was doing snow angels on the side of the court. So, there has to be a little bit of introspection there at a certain point in time. So, I think that where that's where it comes down to. I mean, Jalen's three point percentage has dipped since he's become a four. Like he was shooting out of his mind and making like darn near everything, and now it's down to about twenty eight percent. And I think it is somewhat telling that when they get into fourth quarters, Miles and Jalen have only played two minutes in the fourth quarter which some of that has to do with Jalen being out of the lineup and some of them being blowouts. But they typically still go back to Aaron at the four in those in those situations. So I'm of the opinion that right here, right now for this season, I don't think they really do have a surefire answer as a starting four.
0: I was just going to ask you about the progress defensively and whether that gives you enough confidence at this stage because there are certain boxes they have to check and there are certain things that... Like different situations that they're going to run into, different matchups that they're going to run into, especially in a playoff environment where they will need a more versatile four-man than just a kind of a, a center masquerading as a power forward in some situations, because like it seems like Jalen Smith really benefits from operating that pick and pop, operating in the space in the pick right. and roll, and then being a rim protector in that regard. But Doing that as a foreman, it's a little bit different and you're a little bit cramped and I can imagine there being some problems there. So not enough progress defensively in your mind for, for a playoff run?
1: I think, like I said, I think the execution is a little bit better, and I think some of the process has been better. So when you go yeah. from, you know, Giannis scoring a franchise record of 64 points or whatever the exact point total was against you, and Buddy is the primary assignment, and the low man is Tyrese Halliburton versus the next game, they're, it was like playoff caliber. Like, this, this, the schematics of what they were doing when they're putting three bodies at the free throw line, that is a playoff-style defense that they were bringing against them in that two-game set there. So that type of process... Is better, But then you can also watch them play Boston and granted Jason Tatum was making hellacious shots against them. He's not a great pull up three shooter and I think he made seven threes off the dribble in that game. Yeah. But they all the wings were hunting Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald pretty mercilessly mercilessly to start that game and the Pacers made adjustments throughout so they're having Tyrese, you know, show and recover so that they're not giving up those switches. But the problem is, is like, it's keeping Aaron on, on the switch, and Aaron's really going to compete there, but Jason can still shoot over the top of Aaron Neesmith. And that's that's where I always come back to and say that a lot of times it's like the Pacers are trying to cover a king-size bed with a twin-size sheet. They're either too big in spots or they're too small in other spots. So, you know, teams haven't even had to touch the Jalen Smith button that much, to be honest with you, Ryan, because like even in that game, they were cross-matched. Jalen Smith was guarding Drew Holiday, and they the, the Celtics didn't even really look at that because they didn't need to. Like that wasn't even a button that they really needed to press. So I think if you look ahead to the playoffs, you'd be like, oh yeah, teams are going to do like what most teams do against switches. They're going to call for a power forward screen. And then they're going to call for a center screen to make Jalen Smith, the on-ball defender. And that's, that's going to be a problem. So I think overall, like the fact that they are number four in the Eastern conference, like I think I was one of the more optimistic people heading into this season. I thought they could get to 41 wins. I did not project them potentially hosting a playoff series. I think that they're ahead of schedule and they're playing really well, but in terms of like my certainty of what they're going to be able to do defensively, I'm still not there yet. Yeah,
0: that's fair. And I think there's reasons to be a little bit more tempered in the expectations for that reason. And the year has been fun and the, the IST run was awesome. It was Mm -hmm. a very fun, uh, just experiment and how a superstar can really sort of blossom in that situation. And Hallie certainly had that, uh, I wonder over the course of the next six weeks, is there something you're watching for? I know that the Pascal Siakam trade rumors have been sort of out there. Not sure how viable that is or whether that's the right fit. Uh, Is that the the name that you're kind of looking for if, if the Pacers are trying to go star hunting? Or is there something else that they might try to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, Ogion and OB going to the Knicks was disappointing for the reasons that you're already seeing and how it's impacting the Knicks defense. Like, it's, it's a very simplistic thing to say, but when you have somebody that size who can actually guard players who are that size, it's it's quite helpful to the True. New York Knicks defense as it also would have been for the Pacers and he would have fit their timeline and I think would have slotted into their offense quite well. I think that you can see ways that Pascal would certainly help the Pacers, and I think that overall... The temperament on Pascal and like the NBA community is much lower on him than what I think the caliber of player that he is. He's shooting the ball pretty well over these last several games, and even if you take that aside... Just what he does for you in terms of drawing help, in terms of finding advantages along his path, in terms of what he can still do as a defender, especially alongside somebody like Miles Turner, who's never really had the opportunity to play with somebody who's going to be, at least in terms of by comparison to Jakob Pertle and the fact that they weren't even playing with a center, what that would open up with. I just think that Pascal would have a lot of room to stretch his legs, at least by comparison to the pre quickly R.J. Barrett version of the Raptors. So I can see that, but the Pacers obviously have to be really careful because they can't, they can't risk trading something for him and he walks in the summer that I don't think that that would really align with where they are in their development track. If they had confidence in it, I I would have a hard time looking away from that for sure. But in terms of what else I'm watching as the season goes on, I would definitely tell people to keep an eye on both Benedict Mathern and Andrew Nembhardt because I still think that's the most important thing that the Pacers need to walk away from at the end of the year. Certainly, they've gotten more out of Tyrese Halliburton than like I even would have imagined. I didn't anticipate him being like a legitimate MVP candidate this year as, as high as I am on him, but I think that they need to be able to end this season, especially if they don't make a trade, and be able to definitively say that either Ben or Andrew pairs really well with Tyrese Halliburton and is a critical piece of this core. And Ben, here in the last like seven games, has definitely been on an upward trajectory, and I think that Andrew would probably be a little bit further along if he hadn't been dealing with some of these injuries, but the numbers so far still pair with Tyrese is still going to be Buddy and Andrew over Ben to this point, even though Ben has been playing a little bit better. So I think that that's probably the top thing that I'm still keeping an eye on fascinating
0: to see lots of different options that they can go to over the course of the rest of the season just as long as everybody stays healthy looking forward to seeing what direction they decide to go and if there is a trade uh, that would be a fun fun fit as you mentioned that the idea of Tyrese with a Pascal Siakam Miles Turner front court is really really appealing so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing if that that ultimately happened but we will find out Together. She is Caitlin Cooper of the Basketball She Wrote Substack. Really, really appreciate you stopping by, Caitlin. Let's chat again in about six weeks, all right?
1: Hey, thanks for having me.